Appreciate it. Good morning. Let me get something out of the way immediately. Monaco was not our objective. It's not like, well, you've suffered in Haiti for eight years, so we're going to send you to Monte Carlo. I was telling Pastor Kevin, when I proposed to my wife, who I met in Haiti when she came down and then worked there for a year, Haiti was part of the proposal. I said, you should know, it's more than just me. I'm working, dying, being buried, waiting for Jesus in Haiti. So I had no idea that we would ever end up in a place like Monte Carlo. A few things. Uh, I'm a graduate of Jarvis Collegiate Institute. Go Bulldogs. All right. Now I've just alienated how many people. I don't know. Uh, back in the day before electricity, so it's okay. I'm sure it's changed. And also, if you are visiting, I always tell people, please give them another chance. Never judge the church and the fellowship by the guest speaker. <clears throat> so I want to talk about bringing God's love to life. When you think of evangelism, what do you have in mind? What comes to your mind? Let me give you a few thoughts. Is that one? Dress up like an Old Testament prophet. Go to Dundas and Young. Have a placard. Maybe a staff would help. Listen, when I was in, uh, when I was at Jarvis, I was, we lived just north of downtown, and I was at Bayview, um, Bluer and Young, and I saw a friend of mine who loved to do street preaching. Any of you love to do street preaching? Very few hands go up when I ask that question. So I thought, oh, there's Gary. You know, I'm going to go stand as part of the crowd, and uh, says so you get one guy, then maybe you'll get two, and then a, a crowd builds, and just encourage him. So I go over there, I'm in cut-off jeans and a t-shirt, probably grade 11, and he's waxing eloquent, and then he's, he suddenly said, and I have a friend who grew up in a very different culture than ours, and so I want him to come and share his testimony. He said, Jim, come on up here. <laughs> I have not spoken to that man since that day. I was petrified. I don't know what I said. I think one person hung around to, to talk, but that probably out of pity. Or how about this guy? Remember him? You guys are so young, you won't remember. He used to carry John 3.16 placards and stand in the end zones of football games in the U.S. so that every time there was a field goal or an extra point, you would see this rainbow-haired guy with John 3.16 placards. Now, the thing about today, most people wouldn't even know what John 3.16 means, let alone be able to find it. We have gone, as a culture on both sides of the border, what I like to call pre-acts. We can't assume that they, people know anything about the very basic teachings of the gospel. Or maybe you're more hopeful. Maybe you have an idyllic imagination of what evangelism is. So here you have an interested person and two people talking to them and one person off to the side praying. May I suggest, it's probably more like that. This is why a lot of us are scared of evangelism. Because people don't accept the Bible as authoritative truth. In a day when everybody has their truth, and we come along and say this is the truth, already there's a clash in worldviews. 
And secondly, they're very distrustful of anything religious. I mean, Pastor Kevin, you mentioned the second guy this year that you know who has had to step out of ministry. We give them a lot of reason to distrust us, and now they see religion as detrimental, not just useless, but actually detrimental. So we have a dilemma, don't we? Because we have been given a mandate by Jesus Christ to do what? Go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses, starting here, going to the ends of the earth. So how do we accomplish our mandate in this environment? I want to give you a proposition, a proposal, and that is this. Sharing the gospel is not a task to perform, but a way of life to enjoy. It's not checking the box, okay, I got to, now I've done EE, I've done door to door, I've done almost everything. So I, if, you, if, that's, if that floats your boat, then great. I'm not saying there's only one way to do it. But if you're just checking the box, I went and visited 10 homes tonight, or I handed out 100 tracks, then that's a, that's a task that you're performing. And I want to say that it's so much richer than that. It's actually a life that we enjoy living as followers of Jesus. So bring God's love to life is intentionally a double entente. First of all, we bring it to life in that we experience His love. We incarnate it. And then we extend it to people. So if you try to extend it to others before you incarnate it, what are you extending? You feel like you're just reading somebody's notes. And you're not going to find joy in that at all. So, I want to focus on these verses and then suggest three building blocks for how the gospel can be brought to life in our lives and then brought to life and bearing on the lives around us. So, it's, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So here's the first building block. Be committed. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. We are to do this in our hearts, the place of desires and passions, not just the mind that makes choices. We are to set him apart. That means to treat as holy, to value above everyone and everything else, and to to set him apart as what? Lord. To surrender to his authority and his agenda. To evaluate life from God's perspective, not evaluate God from life's perspective. That's a huge difference, y'all. Sorry, my wife's texting, so y'all just kind of comes out. We're in southern Ontario, aren't we? So I guess it works. That's a huge difference. I remember hearing of a pastor in Asia 
who was taken by the authorities and beaten to within an inch of his life. And he spent weeks in the hospital. And when he was being led out, the people in the church came and they picked up his bed and they held it up and they marched through the streets. And you know what they said? He has counted him worthy. And they sang as they walked through the streets. That is not the normal perspective of human beings. That's people who understand Jesus is Lord, and so they evaluate everything that happens to them from Scripture, from God's perspective. Set apart means to surrender to, to set above. There are two ways to surrender. One is to give up, right? The other is to give in. Which do you think this is? Sadly, a lot of people think this is how we give in to Jesus. I give up. You're Lord. Who am I? That's not a love relationship. <laughs> it's like going home and saying, hey, Mary, my wife, do you love me? Yeah. Why? Because I have to. It's on the marriage document. It's in the contract. How will I feel about that? Will I feel warm fuzzies? Or will I think, wow. No, we are to give in. I remember counseling a couple when we were in uh, Monte Carlo. And they were having some issues, and we go round and round. And finally one day, I, I, I hadn't thought about asking this, but I just stopped and I said, tell me, how committed are you to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? And the wife, who was the older Christian, she said, 25%. 25%? No wonder. No wonder we're still going around and around on the same issues. Is that commitment? I thought about this as I know two illustrations. Number one, how many of you have young kids? Young babies, okay. Let's say that I tell you at the end of the service, listen, I know what it's like to have young kids, so I want to offer to babysit for you. You guys go out, have a night, just adult conversation, like real life again, and I'll watch your kids. Oh, wow, Jim, you're so wonderful. I know. And I show up, and just as you're walking out the door, you say, oh, by the way, Jim, how committed are you to the safety and well-being of our, my kid or our kids? And I said, 25%. You know, could be a game on tonight. I could lose track of where they are. Would you walk out the door? Some would. <laughs> Some like double digits, good enough for me. I know those days, right? You haven't slept in, an, in eternity. So, yeah, if you're in double digits, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take my chances because I need to get out. Now, how about if I ask to use your iPhone 37, whatever we're up to now, or your new computer, or your car? And you said, okay, but how committed are you to keeping it safe? 25%. Yeah, see, now it gets personal, because kids, whatever. <laughs> I'm kidding. Is this recorded? I'm kidding. <laughs> But my, my iPhone, my computer, my guitar, 
I want a little bit higher than that. Well, then why would God entrust us with his valued possession, people, if we're only 25% committed to him? See, commitment has to be 100% or it's nothing. Anything less, you're just involved. See this picture? Who was committed? The pig. By the way, if you can't see, it's bacon and egg breakfast. The chicken was involved. The pig was committed. Now, I would say be a pig, not a chicken, but people misunderstand that. So you, you have to figure out what I'm talking about there. We need to be committed because people are searching. They are searching. Setting apart Jesus as Lord is not enslavement, it's freedom. Uh, we sang, where you are, Lord, I am free. Why is that? Because we were created by God in his image to work and to worship. And when we do that, we find our identity we find our meaning and our purpose, and it brings us alive. Don't think of lordship as enslavement, as punishment. Think of it as life-giving. So here are just a few quick questions to see if you're committed or involved. Number one, do you enjoy being a Christian? Is it a want-to or a have-to? If it's a have-to, you're not committed. You're involved. I love when people say, I tried Christianity, it didn't work. Like, how do you try Christianity? Anyway, what truths in the Bible are challenging you? Trust me, maybe it's my carnal nature, but there are a lot of truths in the Bible that I would rather not be there or I'd rather change. And they challenge me greatly. Again, well, who's running the show, Jim? Your brilliance? Or God. And finally, how are you sensing the Lord directing you? We cannot be engaged in Scripture and not sense God moving in our lives in one way or another. Secondly, we need to be authentic. We need to be authentic. Always be prepared to give an answer. That means a, a defense like you would give before a judge and jury. For the, who, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We used to vacation. Uh, we'd go camping with some friends. And while we were sitting by the pool, this was in Europe, uh, one couple, Louise and Stefan, she said, how can I get my husband to stop worrying? And my wife, Mary, said, he needs to become a Christian. She looked at me and says, do you ever worry? Now, I had two immediate thoughts. Can you guess the first one? Why are you asking me? It was Mary's bright idea. Why don't you ask her if she ever worries? Why are you asking Pastor Jim? But notice what she did not ask. She did not say, do you have any verses on not worrying? She said, do you ever worry? That's a huge difference, right? 
Being authentic does not mean being perfect. People are looking for someone who is real. Do you know what my answer, what would your answer be, by the way, if, she, if Louise asked you that? My answer, I'm not saying it was a great one. I said I do sometimes, but I don't have to. It's when I'm trying to control life that I worry, and I should worry. Because guess what? I'm not sovereign, <laughs> and neither are you. But when I'm able to give that to God, then I can continue in joy and with hope. We need to be authentic because people are watching. They're watching us. They hear what we say. They're watching what we do. I was listening recently to a recording by Tim Keller, who was encouraging us to practice soft or emotional apologetics. You know what apologetics is? It just means the defense of the faith, to give the reason, an answer rather, for the reason for the hope. <clears throat> and he said, we need to, to practice soft apologetics and then move to hard apologetics, which would be all the evidence for resurrection, for example. And here's, his, here's what he says. He tells people, Christianity has better resources for what you want. Of all the options out there, he believes Christianity has the best resources for what they're seeking. And then he begins to explain why. I thought about that because I remember a while back I was in Rome. I was in an airport and our plane was delayed. Uh, and we got, I got talking to this, I think she was American, probably in her mid-20s. And we got on the topic of faith and, and belief. And she said, why do you believe what you believe? Oh, 1 Peter 3. And then I whipped out the best apologetic for the resurrection you've ever heard in your life. I mean, sit back and take notes kind of defense. Blank stare. Just looked at me and went, oh. I think, oh, were you not listening? What was she really asking? Because I think back on that, what she was really asking is, did it change your life? Does it have any effect on your daily life? Blaise Pascal said this, bring people to the point where they wish Christianity was true and then tell them why it is. Isn't that great? I think his book works are pensées, thoughts. You should read them sometimes. They're translated. Bring people to the place where they wish Christianity was true and then explain or show them why it is. So how can you know if your faith is authentic? Is anybody asking? Now, it's not a show. I don't go around and sell people stuff just so they say, oh, tell me more. But if we're living as people under the lordship of Jesus Christ and enjoying that, that we enjoy being a Christian because we want to, not because we have to, it's going to stand out. Do we reflect a life of hope in the midst of the chaos of our society? And people get so divisive over vaccines and politics and social issues. Do we get caught up in that? Or do we live as people who have eternal hope 
and a sovereign Lord? Or are we just as judgmental and fearful and offended as everybody else seems to be? Finally, be gracious. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. You ever hear of Sarah Tucholsky? She's the player in the red, Western Oregon University. This was a game for the championship of that league. They're playing against Central Washington. Sarah, her last game, hit a home run, which had always been her desire, was to hit a home run. She hits a home run. There are two, guys, two people on base, so it's a three-run homer. She passes first base, realizes she didn't touch first base, so she stops to go back and tears ligaments in her knee. And she it crawls back to first base, and she's clutching it in tears. So the coach said, can we help her? And they said, if you help her, she's out. So two players from Central said, can we help her? Like, what? Can we help her as the opposing team? <laughs> yeah. So they picked her up, and they walked her around and put her foot down on each base, and Central lost the game because of that home run. They were leading two to one, and they lost four to two. That's grace. That's not looking at her as the enemy. It's looking at her as a human. And like one of them said, hey, she hit the ball over the fence. She deserved that. Gentleness and respect. If I'm not mistaken, gentleness is the only place where Jesus describes himself. He, calls, he refers to himself as gentle and humble in heart. In, Philipp, in Matthew 11, that's where he describes it. In Philippians 4, Paul connects worship with gentleness. Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. If you are not a gentle person, don't try to be more gentle. Examine your worship life. Because if we are worshiping Jesus then we can turn around and be gentle with people. We also need to be respectful. We need to respect the dilemma that people find themselves in, which is described in Ephesians 2 as this, without hope and without God in this world. That is traumatic. They look around. The world is so divided. I mean, internationally. And I'm just talking about Ontario, Canada, North America, the world has gone crazy and they have no hope in sight and no God to, to turn to. We need to respect what they must be feeling. We need to respect their choices. Look, don't be surprised when people who do not set apart Christ as Lord in their hearts make choices that are not in line with those who do set apart Christ as Lord. It, it always boggles my mind why Christians get upset when non-Christians 
do things that are not biblical. Let me ask you a question. Did you spend quality time reading the Quran this morning? Probably not. Why? My first guess, you're not Muslim. So if somebody, if a Muslim came up to you and said, hey, why aren't you doing what the Quran says? It's like, well, I'm not Muslim. That would make perfect sense to you, right? Same thing for people who are not Christians. Don't go up and say, hey, you're not acting in line with the Bible. Well, yeah, because I don't believe the Bible. So don't be res respect that their choices reflect their worldview. And finally, respect their pain. Much of that pain has come from religious people. And sorry to say it, y'all, we are lumped into that. There was a man who came to church in Monaco. Now, I didn't normally invite people to church as the first point of contact. I invite them to coffee, to lunch, whatever. Because I didn't know their background, so I didn't want to assume anything. So he came to church. It's not like I didn't want him to come. Just, it wasn't, hey, you need to go to church. That's the box you check. I went to church, did my duty. So I met with him after that Sunday, and we had coffee, and I said, so what did you think? He said, man, my hands were sweating. My stomach was churning. And I thought, now that's some preaching. As we always say in the older days, that's Holy Ghost revival preaching right there. And I said, what did I say that caused that reaction? He said, oh, no. Church hadn't started. I just walked in the door. Just walking into a church created a physical manifestation of pain and anxiety. I grew up in the church. Haiti, Canada, Monaco. Church was always a wonderful place to be was a place to fellowship. Not perfect, but I loved it. I, and I began to realize, man, you guys have been through a lot of pain, and a lot of that has come at the hands of religious people. By the way, what, is, what does gracious living look like? Well, look in verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Do those two verses describe us? I don't want any raising of hands, but just ask yourself, does that describe me when I'm driving in GTA traffic? Yeah, you all know exactly what that means. I can't use that illustration anywhere else but the GTA. It's crazy out there, y'all. So what is my reaction? That's just one example. We need to be gracious because people are really hurting. And you know what's a shame? Everywhere I've gone, different countries, different continents, Christians are no, more, known more for what they stand against than what they stand for. That's very sad. We are here to announce the gospel, which means good news. Very often, we're just pointing fingers. You know, there's nothing in here 
about telling people that they're sinful. Is there? Why? Because you don't have to tell them they're sinful. They know that. They know they're not perfect. What they want to know is, is there any hope? Is there any truth, any possible way of being forgiven? And that's why grace is about offering solutions and answers. Because that's what they don't have in this world, and that's what they need. And that's what we find in Jesus. Look at verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. How did Jesus bring people to God? He brought God to people. I love this verse. John 1.14. I love it. It bothers me as well. So I'm following Jesus. Shouldn't this be my reality as well? The word, that is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know, it's a lot easier to come down to Center City, Toronto, and preach a message and then hightail it out of here. And you don't know anything more about me than I choose to share. Then you talk to my wife and children. Oh, huh, I got a bigger, better idea of who Jim is. He, dwayed, he dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that a hard balance to keep? Anybody identify with that? Being full of both grace and truth. I find it easier to be full of truth and easy on grace, or full of grace and not quite so honest with the truth. But that's what Jesus did. So how can we bring people to God? Dwell. Don't yell. Hospitality. Here are some ways that you can dwell. Hospitality. Invite people into your home. I read a statistic a while back that uh, the reason I don't put, use a lot of numbers is because I have a hard time saying statistics. So that's, I stay away from that. A lot of stats where it was something around 80-some percent of international students had never been in a North American home, Canada or the U.S. They're visiting from another country and then nobody had ever invited them into their home. International students, invite them to your home to celebrate Thanksgiving. Like, what's that all about? Christmas, Valentine's Day, Easter, like the things we already celebrate. One thing that, I've, that we've started is when we invite people over for dinner, we invite them over to cook it with us. There's a lot of great conversation that happens. And one of them was Italian, so we said, we're not going to even think about making pasta. You come make the pasta, we'll make the sauce, and we'll, we'll have a good evening. It was fantastic. Or sports. Um, what do you enjoy doing? You, you like camping? Hey. Leisure activities, church events, we're going to go camping. Invite some people outside of the church to go with you. You want to go see the Blue Jays or the Leafs? Don't know why, but if you do, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, I was cheap shot. I've been waiting, y'all, since the 70s. I've been waiting. <clears throat> That's my trauma. Invite some people to go with you. 
And don't say to the church members, all right, Jim's coming with us, so everybody be nice. <laughs> First of all, that's not going to last past the second inning. Secondly, it's, we don't have to put on a show. People just know, hey, there's something different about you all if we are being committed and authentic and gracious. So it's a good way for us to practice what we preach. Uh, social groups, join one. Let them do all the admin stuff. Reading groups, leisure, go camping, weekly activities, go shopping. My wife goes shopping with our neighbor, uh, and she'll take her along. Sometimes they walk down to the store and walk back. It's a great opportunity. Did you know that you have core values as a church? Your fourth one, I looked it up, is evangelism. And it says, we are a missions-minded church believing in the Great Commission. Our mission field starts in Toronto, our Jerusalem, and extends to the other most parts of the earth. So how are we going to fulfill that? How are you going to fulfill that? You bring God's love to life. This is how at Crossworld we define being a disciple is to, means to live in love like Jesus in authentic relationships wherever life happens. And making disciples means you help people live in love like Jesus in authentic relationships wherever life happens. Because making disciples means first being a disciple. I'm not a disciple maker because I've reached the pinnacle of Christian maturity. And actually, as I disciple people, I am discipled. I learn so much from them. Crossworld, our motto, our logo, I guess motto is all professions, one mission. We believe the mandate of Jesus has not changed. We believe every Christian is invited to participate. We believe the utmost parts of the earth still exist, and we believe it will only be reached by the whole body. This is not for the professional Christians, a term I really detest. The pastor teachers, the Bible school and seminary grads. See, there are a couple of truths I want to leave you with. First of all, the harvest is very plentiful. By the way, Acts 8 verses 1 to 4. It says that a, a persecution broke out in Jerusalem and all but the apostles were scattered. So the apostles are kept in Jerusalem. It's the laymen, the non-professionals who are scattered. And in verse 4 it says, wherever they went, they preached the gospel. They talked about Jesus wherever they went. They are the ones who transformed that society. They are the ones who turned the world upside down. Yes, the apostles were involved, but they weren't the leaders. The harvest is plentiful. The opportunities are many and varied. Real briefly, here's an example. By the way, I know a guy. You may actually know him. He's with another agency, but right now he could probably fill 30 teaching positions around the world. Right now. Admin and teaching. Talk to me later if you want. But this guy grew up in Venice Beach, California. He was a literal surf bum. He was a beach bum. All he did was surf and hang out on the beaches. He became a lifeguard. And he's thinking, how in the world can God ever use me? I didn't, I just barely scraped through high school. Well, he's traveling, looking for surf places, and he goes around, he's in Asia, 
and he's surfing, great beaches, great waves, and he looks around there, no lifeguards. And he thought, hmm, you know, if you want repeat customers, it's good to keep them alive. So he started asking around, and they said, oh, no, we don't have any lifeguards. And so he, long story short, he ended up becoming a trainer of lifeguards for that country. Now, do you think there's any correlation between saving lives and saving lives? Could you possibly think of any ways that he could have a spiritual conversation about that? I have friends who run dance studios, who work in offices, who go as job takers. One is teaching PhD-level students in another country around the world. But the laborers are still very few, and I don't believe that Jesus is done sending people into the world. So here's my prayer. Today, this morning, would you do me a favor and just stop? Put a pause, call time out, whatever you need to do, lock the kids in the closet. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But find some time where you can ask yourself two questions. Could it be that the Lord Jesus wants me to go outside of my Jerusalem and somewhere between here and the ends of the earth? And if he does, am I ready to follow? Am I ready and willing to obey my Lord and Savior. If you are, if you sense that God is stirring something in your heart, may I encourage you to speak to your pastoral leadership. Speak to the leaders of this church. My prayer is that we will not waste the time and opportunities that exist. They are out there if we are willing to listen and follow. Let's pray.